Welcome to this very special episode in the public finance podcast series, uh, where we explore the critical issues affecting services across the UK. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the financial settlement and the outlook for 2023-2024. Um, I'm delighted that joining me uh, online is Dan Corey, Chief Executive of the New Philanthropy Capital Think Tank. Uh, and here in the studio with me is Justin Galliford, uh, CEO of North Group, which is owned by Norfolk County Council. And I should also point out that Dan has some specialist knowledge as he was previously head of the number 10 policy unit uh, for Prime Minister Gordon Brown. Uh, both, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Chris. Um, Let's set the scene because we're sort of in a no man's land at the moment because, uh, you know, there's a settlement that, that's claimed to be landing on Christmas Eve, um, which, you know, literally as everybody's going out the door, um, that's not helpful, is it, for anybody? Um, you know, Dan, you, you've been used to the sort of, you know, dealing with settlements and things. Um, is, is this usual? Well, the, the local government settlement does sometimes come very late. I mean, historically, I'm sure uh, in my memory, um, it may have come later than that at this time. It, deeply frustrating because it makes planning completely and utterly impossible. Um, I, I've never quite understood why it takes so long, where you know you have to wait for the autumn statement, see what's around. There's some shenanigans between departments all having to agree and things like that. But if you were if 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 central government spent a bit more time thinking how can we behave in a way that makes it easier for local authorities and local public services to deliver, they would have got it out, you know, day after the autumn statement at the very latest. So there's a bit of discipline out, you know, Justin, you're working with local authorities, you're delivering services. So actually, and you've got a plan. Um, is this frustrating? Yeah, I mean, in, in practical terms, it makes it very, very difficult. We're setting our budgets at the moment with our customers, but of course, you can't really get certainty. Uh, and, and for local authorities, of course, need to ensure I have a balanced budget against a, a predetermined timeline. It's very, very tight indeed. So it, it's difficult for for authorities to consider sensibly the future and actually it, it can begin to put pressure on operations as well services they deliver um do, what is it that councils need to hear i mean is, this is it, it I mean, it's, and it's not small small money either I and mean, we're, we're talking billions of pounds in, in you know in a lot of lot of authorities so what do councils need to hear is it you know do they need a multi-year settlement um I mean, dan you, you you'd have you'd have been on the receiving end of these conversations what was it that, that they used to say to you is actually you know we, we need you know we've got plans for long term what do you think yeah i mean i i think the multi-year thing chris you're quite right that's that's the most crucial thing if yeah, that the uh, councils would want. I mean, obviously they want a big number as well, um, uh, and you also get arguments because in the settlement, obviously not everybody gets the same. Um, and you know, people will say this is unfair. Why are they getting this and we're not getting that? And and I think people naturally, you know, human beings want to see some kind of fairness and understand how decisions be made. But I do think ultimately. You know, if I had to choose one thing, I'd go for the multi-year settlement because that does allow planning. It does allow people to think, well, I've got, I know I've got that money so I can do something this year, which isn't going to pay back till year three, but that's okay. I can do it. Whereas if you have no idea what's going to happen the, the following year, yet let alone in the third year, uh, you're forced into making different decisions, short-term decisions, which, uh, you know, certainly won't save you money in the long term. So it doesn't do any of us any good. But um, But at the moment... Uh, that's certainly not in sight. 
What can the public sector do? Because, I mean, obviously, there are some very grim numbers that have, have been floating around and, and, you know, depending on how much the, 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 the core grant is and councils having to rely on reserves and those sort of things. So, I you know, are there, you know, what are the services? What are the things that can be cut? And what, what is there anything that local government can do, Dan? Well, I think it is very difficult, you know, um, you know, councils can't go out and sort of uh, revenue raise and those in the past who've tried to do sort of, sort of fancy commercial deals and stuff, have, a lot of them have come a cropper uh, and they certainly can't do it at the moment. I mean, obviously, you know, councils are forced to just defend uh, the statutory services. So the non-statutory stuff is all, all at risk. Um, in the old days, we might have said, you know, a lot of your in-house services cost too much, outsource them and all the rest of it. But in fact, at the minute, a lot of councils are insourcing, um, partly because they got a bit fed up with uh, being overcharged by sort of incumbent providers. I mean, then the other thing, interestingly, that's happened, happened a lot during austerity was whether the councils could get the voluntary sector that I work with a lot these days to sort of take on some of the services, you know, so that, um, you know, whether it's running the local community centre or library or something, or providing some of the sort of nice-ish to have services. Um, but, you know, charities have to fund themselves as well. It's not all done through volunteers and jumble sales and sponsored runs. And they find it very difficult too. So there's a limit to how much that could be done. And I suspect a lot of councils have done what you can do sensibly already. Justin, is there anything else that, or is it just literally hunker down and and just hope for the best and put on a grim face? Well, you know, I, I think as we say, it's um, it's a very tough situation, uh, and I think to a degree, um, the government is beginning to understand that because uh, only today we see um, a comment from Michael Gove encouraging councils to consider use of their reserves this year and perhaps next. Um, the problem with that, of course, is once they're gone, they're gone. And and there are councils that have already announced Section One One Four on the basis that that those reserves have already been exhausted. Uh, and again, I mean, today the LGA has, has published some results from a survey, which, uh, talking to its membership, is very clear that that many authorities are now closer to having to consider One One Four territory than they've ever been before, uh, and and certainly I think uh, in our lifetime. Um, so it is a serious situation. Uh, Using reserves might be fine in the short term, but it is not, by definition, a long-term sustainable option. So, Dan, is, is this a situation where you know, councils just simply push it back to the Treasury and say, this cannot be done, here's the Section 114 notice, good luck with that? Well, it's uh, it's one strategy. I mean, I, I do think that the particularly what's been going on in Birmingham will be in quite a shock to central government and to the Treasury Um even though everyone kind of knew it was happening, it was a sort of slow motion crash, you know, and Birmingham's been in trouble for years. We knew about the sort of equal pay issue for a long time. Um, but nevertheless, uh, such a major, enormous council um, getting in trouble like this will have made people think. I mean, it's it, I, from my memory as well, it's, it's, it's always kind of frustrating in central government because you look across the local government patch and some of them, it's true, some of them haven't got any reserves, have used them. Some of them are in trouble for other reasons, but some do have reserves. They're in very different positions. And and quite a lot of councils did actually build up reserves over uh, some recent years. So you can see why the Treasury is kind of keen to get them to use their own resources before they start sort of knocking on the door and saying, we're going broke, what are you going to do to help them? Then, of course, you have the issue 
you know, how does central government behave when a council gets in financial trouble? I mean, in, in, in countries like the states, if a, if a local council or their equivalent goes bust, they let it go bust. You know, and so there's a kind of disincentive to go bust. Nobody rescues you. In our system, you do sort of half get rescued. I mean, the commissioners get sent in uh, to take over the council, so you lose democratic control. Whether whether that really is a kind of disincentive to people to behave like that in the future, whether the public massively care, whether it's their sort of elected council or some commissioners running the council, probably depends on what they thought council services beforehand. Um so it's complicated for the centre as to what to do in these situations, uh, just as much as it's really pretty terrifying for councils. Isn't it also where it's like, you know, if the number of councils goes up, you know, have we even got enough commissioners to actually step in? You know, I mean, there can only be a finite number of people. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a minibus driving around the countryside at a frantic rate. If, you know, 10, 12 local authorities go under, and there's a capacity issue there, isn't there also, Dan? There is, although Max Keller, as ever, seems to be everywhere. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, for instance, I mean, I certainly know of a, of a, of a chief executive of a of a, a major council who, apart from trying to run that council, is always also trying to help another council in trouble. Um, Lord knows how you do both of those jobs, um, and that person certainly couldn't do another council. So it's it it does get slightly slightly crazy. I, I mean, from my my memories of Whitehall, I mean, when I was working in the, actually the local government department of those days. Um, which was, I think, DTLR. Um, and uh, we were certainly very, very reluctant to get involved in sort of running councils. So there was issues when Hackney was in trouble, for instance, um, because it's the last thing that central government wants to do, which is why you kind of send in commissioners, ideally local government type people, and you keep a bit of a distance. Um, but, uh, but 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 you're you're right. And 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 you know, in some places like like Birmingham, maybe in Liverpool, there may be things that have gone wrong that commissioners can help put right. But for a lot of councils now, it's just that the money's run out. They've not necessarily done anything mad or stupid or something that commissioners can quickly sort out. It's just that the money isn't there. And what can they do? I mean, you know, just take Birmingham as an example. I mean, is it, you know... They're too big to fail, and also you've got some intrinsics that are just not going to move. And also, in you, to me, you know, things like particularly social services. There's been some, you know, at the coalface are quite often some very, very good people who are making very, very difficult decisions and 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 balancing very finite resources. And at the same time, you know, it's unlikely the private sector is going to step in because of the risk profile. Um, and also, you've got things like you know the the a very fractured you know care market. There's an awful lot that's driving this. Is I mean, Justin, what's your experience on all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think um, involvement from a, a private sector would be limited. Uh, the, the challenge is certainly there, and as Dan points out, the territory now really is. Yes, there are some authorities that may have done some things which weren't very sensible uh, with hindsight but actually the vast majority I think of the authorities that are starting to talk now about being in concerning territory are just cash trapped there's just not enough money in the system so you know in, in terms of a way forward I think one of the really interesting things is uh, you know what, what is the definition of a statutory service uh, and it's it's quite incredible but there seems to be a bit of a debate around some of that um, so I think we're going to see some interesting conversation authority to authority about what what that looks like uh, and then what what can you pay back you know if indeed anything because i have to say from many authorities we work with um, they have gone through round after round of difficult cuts and and of course when you, when you cut a service first time 
it's slightly easier but when you get to third or fourth or perhaps even fifth iteration you can only cut something so much until you don't have a viable service anymore so um, it is a real test for leadership teams and it's a real test for those people on the ground making it happen many of whom uh, have had a career in, in local government and are dedicated to helping the communities they work in Dan, I mean, there's also the law of unintended consequences. And I remember back when the Sure Start centres were under pressure and a lot of them got closed. And there was those, that fascinating photograph because um, David Cameron's mother turned up at a demonstration in Oxfordshire to uh, save a, a Sure Start centre that she believed shouldn't, shouldn't be closed. I mean, it, there are going to be some difficult decisions. And doesn't this also, the other group of people that are going to be drawn into this are the politicians because they're going to have to make the difficult decisions and that's both at central and local government about things that stay and you know there's there's going to be there are going to be some challenges when local people start going no no this this needs to stay what do you do and and also does does that public pressure reach Whitehall I think in different ways it does reach Whitehall but I mean what tends to happen I'm afraid given the way our our sort of our country works and the geography is you get a blame game go that goes on. You know, is it the council? I think I think Nottingham uh, recently got in trouble, and I think uh, I can't remember. Was it there was a quote from um, a Conservative minister or something saying Robert Jenrick, former local government secretary. Yeah, so just State. saying, you know, yeah. they, they've run everything appallingly. This shows why you can never trust Labour council. And I, I don't know the ins and outs of Nottingham, but my guess is that he didn't do anything massively wrong. But he's he straight away wants to blame them. They will no doubt be saying, you know, what happened was that the government didn't give us enough money, despite the fact we had a growing population of this kind of thing, which needed more statutory services or whatever. So we tend to go straight into whose fault is it? The, the, the poor old public don't really know whose fault it is, really, because um, uh, it is hard to work it out. And um, I mean, that, that's not very helpful. But nevertheless, I, I, I do think if MPs in particular are picking up that the that their constituents are very worried about social care or about um youth services or whatever um you know of course they'll go and talk to the council but they will start putting pressure on government i i usually i didn't go this year i usually go to the conservative party conference as well as the labor party conference um and we do events there and usually if you go to fringe meetings at conservative party conference apart from the sort of very ideological ones you get a whole lot of conservative councillors often from counties who are talking about housing and social care because that's what their constituents care about. Um, somehow it never quite makes its way up to national politics. I don't know why, um, but it, but you certainly do get that pressure, and I think I think it will be on at the moment behind the scenes. That that neatly, you know, there's a there's going to be a general election next year, and it neatly takes us on. So, um, you know, if we're talking about politicians and, and action and, and pledges and things, you know, what must the next government do, or at least um, what must they not promise? to do because they can't deliver it. Um, I'm going to go with you, Dan, first, because you've been used to, if, if, for want of a better word, the, the calibration of these these decisions. What's your thoughts? Well, there is a kind of worry that however much the famous Liam Byrne letter that said there's no more money when he when Labour left government, that the, the Conservatives will leave one saying there really, really, really isn't any more money. Um, now, let's, let's hope that's not totally uh, true. Um, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for the for the next government, even if they want to um, start trying to put more money and put more certainty into uh, funding for local public services and local authorities, you know, to, to find that money. So I think 
it'll take a take a little while for them to work out what's going on. I mean, there's some things you can do that are easy. I mean, you know, for instance, in the whole leveling up agenda, you know, we did end up with a, you know, Lord knows how many different pots that you had to competitively bid for and have teams to bid for to get any bits of money. Um, I think hopefully the next government will bring all that together into single pots and distributed it in a more sensible way. So there's some things like that which which will make a difference, but they don't transform the situation. Um, so I, you know, I I just hope that 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 you know, first of all, that the next government, something we you've asked us about, Chris, you know, does do they take it seriously enough? Do the, does uh, politicians at national level? And I think hopefully, um, uh, if it was a Labour government, they probably would not least because they're very strong in local government um, and with the elected mayors and everything. And I think even just taking it a bit more seriously, you'll find that there is that there are ways of getting a bit more resource to local authorities and giving a bit more uncertainty. But it's going to be very, very difficult. Justin, your thoughts, because obviously you're you're dealing with all this stuff. You know, if if you're you know if you wonder whether you're writing a a manifesto to central government based on everything that's going on, what would your you know what do you want them to do? What do you not want them to do? Well, well, I think the, the key thing that we'd not want to do is don't rule anything out. In particular, um, you know, we've talked previously, but but there are some oddities which are perhaps uh, aged in terms of how funding works. So so on the one hand, central government largely controls the funding that local government receives. Uh, on the other hand, it also limits its ability to raise council taxes. Uh, at the same time, we, we don't have multi-year settlement. So um, I would say, please don't rule out having a look at all of that as some serious reform, because this is not a problem that's going away. Uh, and when you've got a long-term issue, uh, in in the light of no emerging uh, economic growth, you need to make sure that you're really having a, a midterm to long term view on how to fix things, not next year or the year after. Dan, this feels to me like it's detail, 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 which is um, you know it's it's very boring and, and a very difficult sell to the public. And and is is that fair? I mean, detail is is always so difficult when people are going out to vote. They're not really voting about about the certain detail but if 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 it's a labor government that gets elected they've got these five missions they're not going to achieve those five missions unless they've got local government back on its feet so they're going to have to think about it that sounds to me like a note of optimism on which to finish. And uh, if you haven't already, we had a, a mention of Liam Byrne, who famously left that letter at the Treasury. Sorry, there is no money left. Well, you can hear more from Liam in a previous podcast. If you go to uh, the public finance website, have a look on the podcast section and you'll find him there. Um, it was a fascinating conversation. So do revisit that one. Um, so uh, thank you, Dan, for the opportunity of the plug. And thank you for joining us. Much appreciated. It was a pleasure. And Justin Galliford, thank you uh, for joining us also. Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, that just leaves me to thank you, uh, viewers and listeners, for joining us. And uh, we look forward to uh, you joining us again on another episode uh, covering the many challenges, opportunities, uh, ideas uh, and possibilities in public sector and public finance. Thank you for joining us.